Do you like baseball? I mean, this is the season, right? Um, uh, it, I, I began to think about my favorite baseball player of all time this week, and um, um, it's going to be a Yankee. Sorry, but um, um, but it's also in Oklahoma. Does that count? You know, I'm a big Mickey Mantle fan. Kind of followed that. Read books about him, that kind of thing. But in my study at home, I've got a a print that that Rhonda bought for me at a, on a birthday years and years ago with a, with a friend of ours who was in um, um, in kind of the the uh, framing business. And um, and this print is uh, I think it's called Pinstripe Memories or something. Anyway, it's got uh, have you seen that one? I just love it, and it's signed by Don Enser, who's the, who's the artist. And um, uh, but the the idea of this is uh, it's really a lot of Babe Ruth stuff. And uh, I, of course, I didn't. Um, I'm kind of little little too young to remember him playing, other than on newsreels. But but I, I, I'm I'm intrigued by all that he accomplished. Now, you may remember that toward the end of his outstanding baseball career, Babe Ruth began to entertain the idea of becoming a manager. And it was kind of a disaster. Um, one possibility certainly was the New York Yankees. He played for them forever. And um, he had many great seasons over there. But the babe had a reputation for kind of wild and undisciplined behavior off the field. If you remember the story. I see some of you uh, nodding your head yes. So when he approached the Yankees owner, Jacob Rupert, about the manager's job, he was asked, uh, Babe, you can't manage yourself. How do you expect to manage other people? Okay? So we're going to talk today a little bit about self-management, a little bit about self-discipline. By the way, Santa Claus has trouble with something like this. He has constant problems with elf management. But, okay, never mind. Um, that really has nothing to do with this. I'm sorry. The, the prophet, just before we get into what we're going to read, has talked about those who pronounce, uh, those who hate good and love evil. And he's talking about leadership. Those who hate good and love evil. And you and I could probably think of a whole um, a list uh, that we think, boy, that sure kind of fits that. It's interesting that... Um, on the heels of what we've been studying um, in Amos 5.15, Amos says we need to hate evil, love good. And these leaders are doing just kind of the opposite in some ways. Um, but Micah doesn't stop there. He takes his critique a step farther and he characterizes these leaders as, as kind of cannibals. It's interesting in, uh, in uh, the first couple of verses of chapter 3 here, he begins to talk about that metaphor as gruesome as that all is. He talks about kind of cannibalizing other people. And uh, it, uh, that is kind of uh, off-putting language. But the truth is, uh, Paul uses similar language when he talks about, uh, in Galatians 5, uh, those who bite and devour each other. Uh, in, in certainly you and I rem remember that in the latter verses of Galatians 5, that same chapter is where he reminds us that one of the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. Okay, we're going to kind of deal with that this morning. Now, would you um, uh, just kind of, here's the questions that we're going to ask as we kind of deal with this in the time that we have. How important are self-discipline and self-management to leadership? The truth remains, doesn't it, 
that if I can't manage me, how can I lead? Okay, Bob, if you don't mind, I want to ask you to go to Micah 3 and read verse 5, 6, and 7 to get it started. Okay, now, if you remember the context, actually, I'm going to ask somebody. Steve, before you leave, because I know you have to go. What? Got laryngitis? Would somebody go to Jeremiah 6, and I, I want somebody to be prepared to read verse 14 and verse 15 in a little bit, little bit. 14, and then we're going to read 15. So would somebody go there, Jeremiah 6? Okay, hang on there. We'll get to it in just a second. Now, if you remember the message that we were dealing with last week, and somewhat the message of Amos as well from weeks before that, is that um, there are prophets that, and leaders who are assuring their listeners that they have absolutely nothing to fear, yet you and I know we have the benefit of history that tells us that judgment is on the way, that uh, the fall of um, Israel, the north, is imminent under the hands of the Assyrians, and not too long after that, the fall of Jerusalem even, is coming. Um, so what they're doing is prescribing, interestingly, band-aids when major surgery is really needed. Now listen to how uh, Jeremiah kind of deals with this a little bit. 614. I'm sorry. I, hang on. I, I am in a minute, but I want you to read 14 right now. Two images there. I got a I got a massive head wound, and you're saying, "Oh, rub a little aloe on it. Put a bandaid on." And and the message is this: Did you catch it as the seller was reading that? They're prophesying peace, peace, where there is no peace. Now, by the way, this is not at all contemporary, is it? It's not at all contemporary. They're prophesying, we're fine, we're fine, we're fine, when we're not fine. Okay? That's kind of the imagery here. And Micah's kind of had it up to here with this particular idea. Um, interesting, when, when I think about leadership, I think about um, uh, teachers and leaders that I've been exposed to and who have been helpful to me over the years. And, but I have a friend who, who has talked about uh, a phenomenon that took place in his life uh, years ago that was really troublesome to him. And, and I was reading in a, a story this week about a guy who, who said a similar thing happened to him. When he was, talked about when he was in seminary, he, he went to a very liberal seminary, and um, uh, the professor, a lot of the professors were regarded as experts in their field. But he, he same, soon came to realize that their study of the Bible, for instance, and, and their study of theology was just kind of an academic exercise. They had no real interest in the Bible and its application in their own lives. They just 
this was an area I was good at, and so I studied it and, and applied it. I actually had a similar experience my freshman year of college at a, uh, at a, at a secular institution where, where I took a New Testament course, and I, I finally came to realize this guy doesn't believe anything that I believe. And what, what this young man began to realize is that um, uh, he had a particular professor who um, wrote a book about his travels around Europe. He had a, kind of a sabbatical. He made some travels around Europe. And he recorded his activities um, uh, kind of in, on this trip. And he talked about his activities on many Sundays, but he never mentioned going to church. Now, do you catch the tragedy of the theologian who has no use for the church? I hope you catch that. And it's a pitfall for some who teach, for a lot of us who teach um, in, in higher ed, for instance. The, the tragedy of the theologian, the person who's got it kind of figured out, they've studied it, you know, they've written uh, books and papers about it, and yet kind of have surrendered, at least for a period, uh, their interest in the church. Well, uh, that's a similar thing to what's being dealt with here. It's somebody who's just kind of pseudo-interested in spiritual things. So in verse 6, uh, God is going to pronounce through the words of Micah, whatever may be working for these prophets is not going to work in the future. In fact, he talks about a little bit about um, um, uh, their being able to see and their, maybe they've had some effectiveness in the past, but he says now uh, light is going to be night to you darkness for you there's not going to be any more divination by the way the bible uh, forbid divination in the old testament and yet maybe some of these guys have been using that but the sun's going to go down on them them it says here uh their 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 future meanwhile they're preaching a message of hope their future their future is going to look rather hopeless now i let me, let me read to you verse 7 again from the, from the New American Standard. The seers, that's another word for prophet, and these are false prophets that are talked about here, will be ashamed, and the diviners, what's a diviner? Kind of a fortune teller, somebody who uses uh, superstitious means to predict the future, okay? This is, uh, this is uh, you know, calling the uh, astrology hotline, okay? Uh, um the diviners, it says here, will be embarrassed. Indeed, they'll cover their mouths because there's no answer from God. Why would you cover your mouth? I'm sorry? Uh, certainly, but it would be, oh, it's that deal, okay? I read a little bit this morning about what causes blushing. Okay, you ever blush? I do at the most inopportune times. <laughs> Blushing occurs when the tiniest blood vessels in your face, capillaries, suddenly get wider. When they widen, more blood flows through them, which gives you a reddened, kind of a rosy appearance. Your blood vessels widen in response to signals sent to them by the brain through the nervous system. Um, and, of course, it's caused by such emotions as embarrassment or anger and, and those kinds of things. 
Typical blushing, however, is rarely due to any significant medical illness. The widening and narrowing of blood vessels are not under your really con conscious control, this article says. That means you can't make yourself blush or make yourself stop blushing. One article I read said uh, that a particular actress said she could blush on cue, and uh, the author, who was medical, said, I didn't ask her to prove that, but I found that really intriguing. So here's the... I have no conscious control over blushing. But Estella, can I come back to you? Here's what Jeremiah says about the ability to blush in, in Jeremiah 6.15. How bad has it gotten? When in one translation, at least, it says, I, you have forgotten how to blush. Wow. That's Jeremiah's day. That's Isaiah's day. That's Micah's day. Is it much different, in some arenas at least, today? We, haven't we? You know, I, I watch some things on TV or see some things advertised, and I think, um, wait a minute. Even 20 years ago, this would not have been allowed. I'm sorry? Well, as, I, as I recall, they slept in twin beds. And they were legally married, yeah, uh, in life and in, uh, in the, the sitcom, yeah. But isn't it true that in our day, and by the way, I hope this brings you a little bit of hope, that kind of whatever goes around comes around. I think it brings us a little bit of hope to recognize as desperate as our day seems, Micah felt the very same thing in his day in about 620 or so B.C. Isn't that interesting? That the leaders of his day, he, he says, and, and Jeremiah says it in a parallel time. You heard Terry talk about that same period of history last week. I thought that was interesting. Uh, what a great talk. And it was during the same period of time when the leadership and we're going to talk about it in a minute. This is not just civil leadership. This is religious leadership. Have forgotten their moorings. And they've forgotten, literally, Jeremiah says. I just love his imagery when he says, you've forgotten how to blush. And according to my medical research, I can't control that anyway. Bob? You know what? I think what you're saying bears out something that I'm trying to handle my own life, and and this is um, this is notwithstanding my my study from this summer. But we got to get back to the Gospels. We just the most important words ever written are the words that are recorded in my Bible in red. The most important words ever spoken. Now. Uh, it helps me to understand them when I look at, at historical background like we're looking at today. But I've got to get back to the Gospels. Okay, let, let's move on here. Um, because um, Micah is going to take the messages that are given by these who are saying, peace, peace, where there's no peace. He's going to take that message and contrast it to what God has given him to speak and his own life. He's, he is willing. He's got the boldness to say, I want you to look at my life a little bit and, and notice that I have a different motivation for what I'm talking about, etc., etc." Okay, Bob, can I come back to you? 
And would you read 8 through 12? Okay, now we're going to use, the, the writer's going to use some parallelism, and I'm going to explain that in just a minute to help us understand this. But, but I want to begin with, with the way that Micah has the ability here and the guts to contrast his message and his life and his calling with those that are, that are falsely doing this. Did you catch that? Uh, there's quite a contrast. That's what you can write in, in that blank. I, I want to hand out a couple of verses. Estella, since you, you've already found Jeremiah, I'm going to come back to you in a little bit. We're going to read from Jeremiah 26, and I'm going to ask you to go to verse 18 and 19 when we get there. Um, but would somebody else go to 2 Peter 1.21? I'm going to need that one in just a second. 2 Peter 1.21. Who'll get it? It's over the right end of the Bible. So, thank you, Jen. And uh, then I need somebody else to go to Isaiah 5, verse 20. Thank you, Kylie. This table is, is a paragon of faithfulness. So I, I, I want you to know that. Okay, now, there's a contrast. Why the contrast between what Micah is saying and what they have said? What, what do you see as a contrast here? He's listening to God. The Spirit of the Lord is leading his words. So, his preaching comes from the Holy Spirit, and therefore it's true. By the way, in John 14 and John 16, when Jesus is promising you and me the Holy Spirit, he calls him in one or the two of those places the Spirit of truth. What does that mean? He's going to tell what God tells him truly, and he's going to report it to you, and it's always going to be true. Okay, it's going to be the word of truth. So uh, uh, Micah here is saying, I'm listening to the voice of God. His preaching comes from that. Now his, his, his message here, uh, as we begin in verse 8, is talking about Israel's sin. And he's going to use um, a um, kind of a literary device here um, to uh, talk about that. It's called parallelism. He's going to, uh, let, let's go back here. Um, to make known to Jacob his rebellious act, even to Israel his sin. So he's, you notice here, he calls Israel Jacob, which was the first name, okay, of Jacob, right? Jacob and Israel. So, he, so he's going to say, I'm going to talk about Jacob's rebellion, and I'm going to talk about Israel's sin. He's saying the same thing twice. Catch that? He's just using this, this uh, kind of literary, uh, Joe, almost a poetic device to make his point. Okay, uh, the issue here is sin. You can put that in the next blank. Micah is going to expose the sin of the leadership. Now, listen to why I think we can listen to a guy like Micah, and we need to look for these kind of voices today. Um, 2 Peter 5, 21. I'm sorry, 1, 21. 
men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. It's talking about this writing that we're studying today. It's talking about uh, prophetic preaching as well, but in particular about the, the recorded Word of God. It has veracity. It's reliable. Micah is saying, you can count on this because I got it from God. Now, in verse 9, he begins to expose the sin of, of really, of God's people here. Uh, who's got Isaiah 520? It's going to have a similar message. You hear some more parallelism there? Woe to those. He said, watch out. Those of you who call evil good and, and call good evil. And, and the way Micah is expressing it here, it's those who uh, take justice and twist it. Yes. Well, it's, it's certainly an issue, isn't it? It's. Help but pray for us about this at, as leadership of the church and me as, as one of your teachers. I'm just trying to come to terms with all this. What's the biblical response? It, it, things have just become really muddy. You're right. going to tell you the, the ground is shifting beneath us here and I'm going to have to be very very careful the way I interpret the signs of the times and the way I apply the scriptures and that's what I want to be I want to be faithful in doing okay so but thank you for that and I just ask you to pray for the leadership of this church as we try to kind of okay how we're going to handle some of these things it's not as simple as it might seem now what he's going to say here is those who build the way these leaders are building, and he's going to talk about that in verse 10, are destined for collapse. In the very city associated with, um, in, in David's city, the city of Jerusalem, um, associated with a man after God's own heart. That, that's talked about in Acts 13. The hearts of the leaders are very far from God at this time. What they build will, at some point, Micah's predicting, is going to collapse. It'll happen a hundred or so years in the future, but it's going to happen. And this is an indictment here. Verse, as we talk about verse 11, it's an indictment, a pretty broad indictment, of, and I mentioned this a little bit ago, of both civil, that's political, and religious, that's church leadership. So notice what motivates them in verse 11. Let me read it again. Our leaders pronounce judgment for a bribe. Okay, so it's the idea of a judge in a courtroom or a, a, a king on a throne pr pronounces judgment for a bribe. If you'll pay me enough, I'll make the judgment go your way. The priests instruct for a price. That's the religious authorities. Her prophets divine for money, yet they lead on the Lord saying, is not the Lord in our midst. Calamity won't come on us. Now, I think the issue is here that uh, this, what is motivating is uh, there's interesting um, 
and I'm going to be very careful here because I'm not opposed to this particular institution, but I, but I do occasionally see a billboard in this city that literally is talking about a particular college in town that says, um, I'm in it for me. I'm not sure that's a good message to deliver to an 18-year-old, but okay. Because they're kind of in it for me anyway, a lot of them. And it's wonderful to meet those who are not. And to be able to, to disciple and, and influence some of those who are not. But are you in it for me? Evidently, the leaders in this day were in it for me. And what I want you to know is, evidently, I've got this all wrong. I, got, I guess I've got it all wrong. Have you... Do you receive a social security statement like once a year or once every couple of years? How often do those things come? It always sends me to the counselor's office, you know? Because <laughs> of both of what I can predict in the future, which I hope it lasts till I need it, but, but uh, and, it, and I look at, it gives you your earnings year by year. Way back when I was working at First National Midwest City and, and beyond and beyond, you know, and, and when I was working for Seton Plumbing for a while, and, you know, I'm looking at all that. And there, there, is, there are dark passages in that, in that earnings. That it's terrible. For instance, I have made some really stupid decisions in my life. For instance, going to seminary. My income was nil for like three years. Thank the Lord, Rhonda put me through seminary. By the way, she got a degree for that. She got a Ph.D. degree for putting hubby through, okay? <laughs> they literally gave her a, a document, a, a frameable document. But um, I've made some dumb decisions to leave um, uh, when, when my, my earnings was on an upward trajectory to then go to halfway across the country and make nothing for about three and a half years. With two little kids, a wife to feed, and then she had to feed me. And then, uh, this is beautiful, because you, you go to uh, graduate school, right, so you can make more money when you're done. My salary when I finished was about 10000 less per year than my salary before I went. Sally, you may have had the same thing going to, going to teacher's school, okay? And I'm just thinking, what kind of an idiot am I? Uh, and then my... When I left here in, in, in 04 and went, it's not, you know, my income went from here to about 30% lower. It, it, why would a person do that? I, I bet my son has got some similar trajectory because of some decisions he's made. Well, here's the deal. It's because it's not all about the dollar sign. I, I just want to tell you that. The guys on our staff here, the same is true. The guys that work at Mid-America, the same is true. The guys that work... In some kind of ministry, the same is true. It's just like, okay, I didn't get in this for the money. But evidently, in Micah's day, there were some who were. If I got in it for the money, then my, my Social Security statement's really going to make me depressed. As it is, it helps me remember how God carried me through those years and how he'll take care of me when I'm old and hopefully I'll, I'll knock on your door occasionally and say, you got any fried chicken or anything I can? <laughs> Isn't it interesting? And it's not just in Micah's day, it's in my day, isn't it? Now, verse 12 is really intriguing, and I want us to look at it real quickly. It's going to be quoted 100 years in the future, all right? And, and you heard Terry talking about this period of time in the, in the message last week. Therefore, on account of you, talking about these false prophets, Zion will be plowed 
like a field. Jerusalem had become a heap of ruins. And the mountain of the temple will become high places of, of, of forest. Verse 12, chapter 3. Now, in a moment, I'm going to ask Estella to go to verse 18 and 19 out of Jeremiah 26. It's interesting that Jeremiah quotes this as he's telling a little bit of history. Because what happens is Jeremiah is arrested. He's almost put to death because he's got a similar message in the future. And the people begin to remember what happens in back in Micah's day. Uh, um, would you read verse 18 and 19 out of Jeremiah 26? Isn't it interesting that 100 years in the future, Jeremiah refers, and the people around him, refers to Micah's message. And by the way, here's the, here, I'm going to give you a little bit of hope. Here's the effect Micah's message had. The king, Hezekiah, said, i got to listen. And he began to repent. The leader of their world began to repent. And you know what? The Lord relented. He, he kind of put off judgment in Judah for a while. Isn't that wonderful to hear that, that uh, Hezekiah listens. He, he begins to fear the Lord, and the city, at least for a period of time, is spared. Now, I want to use that as a backdrop for three quick applications that I want to give you before we leave about my relationship with, with both civil and spiritual leaders in my frustration, okay? Certainly with civil leaders, all right? Um, uh, what can a follower of Jesus do to truly make a difference? If I am worried about the state of leadership, what can I do about it? I'm going to tell you two or three things that I think I can do. First of all, I can pray. Paul says in 1 Timothy, he's talking to those, to Timothy and others in his day. He's saying, pray for those who are in leadership. Guess who was in leadership that he was obliquely referring to? Nero. There's never been a worse leader. There's never been a wick, more wicked leader. And yet Paul says, pray for him. So I think I, I need to begin there. Second, I think I need to work with them. I, that's the best word I could come up with here. And I reference Daniel. Daniel was given an edict that he could not stand and he couldn't live with. So what he did was he, he learned how to build relationships and then learned how to work within the system without compromising his own principles and his own theology. There are times when I'm going to have to do that. And third, it may be that the Lord is calling you to become one of them. I think about a dark day in Oklahoma history not too long ago when my friend Jerry Regeer got involved in Oklahoma politics, and I'm so glad you did. Fix something that was in terrible shape. And, and he's got friends who've done that same kind of thing. Daniel um, eventually becomes a government authority, even in a foreign land. Joseph, the son of Jacob, did the same thing. 
and literally saved their world in some ways. What about the church? What about if I don't like a decision that's made? Well, I, I think I can take the same advice, can't I? I, I? I think one of the things I want to say to us is don't stay on the sidelines and just complain. Pray. Cooperate. Pursue your own leadership. What, what kind of a leader am I? Now, even though this was written like 600s B.C., is it contemporary? I, I think it really is when we come to terms with it. It's very contemporary, very applicable to my day and to your day. Okay, we're going to continue to work a couple more weeks through Micah. We're going to take a, a week off next week. We're going to kind of, the, the guys from, um, from Seaworth Academy are coming. Shayla's coming and a couple, couple of the leaders from out there. Steve's going to speak and a bunch of us are going to kind of celebrate what we've been doing at Seaworth Academy. You don't want to miss this. This is going to be a really great week. And then we'll pick up in Micah 6 when we come back from that on, uh, on the 20, uh, whatever that week is. Okay? Bless you. Have a great Sunday. See ya.